The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. So what makes a book a Christian book? It's obviously not the paper. It's something else. And this is a topic that a lot of people debate about, and there's no clear consensus. Uh, If you ask four authors, you might get five opinions as to what makes a Christian book. But to help break this down, we are joined today by James L. Rubart, and the author of many award-winning, best-selling books, uh, Christian books. And uh, you just had a new book come out. Uh, Tell us about it. Yeah, I did. It's called The Pages of Her Life. And at the heart of the story, Thomas, it's about this woman who has stood up for other people all her life, but she's never stood up for herself until now. And that's the what I explore in the novel. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's the, it's the first time I've written a novel from a female perspective. And my wife was very helpful in making sure I got that right, hopefully. And uh, yeah, that uh, the novel just released. Yeah, it was a number one uh, new release uh, on uh, release day and uh, still um, very highly ranked on Amazon. So uh, I thought you'd be a good person uh, to bring in to discuss this uh, because you've been writing Christian books for a long time. And so, you know, one argument is every book written by a Christian writer is a Christian book. So does having a Christian author make a book a Christian book? Well, first of all, Thomas, I don't think of myself as a Christian uh, author, a Christian novelist in any sense of the word. Well, maybe a few senses of the word. And so people are going, what do you mean you're not a Christian a novelist, Jim? What, that's what you write. You write Christian fiction. And I would say, Thomas, no, I write fiction. I write fiction. And I am definitely a Christian. So is that worldview going to influence my stories without question? But I have never, and, and some people would say the Christianity in my novels is fairly overt in cases. And I would absolutely agree with that. But I never set out to write a Christian story. I set out to write a great story, the one that was pinging around my head and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I had to get it down on paper. So that's what I'm writing. I'm writing stories, and they happen to be um, heavily Christian influenced. Yeah, but I would I would disagree with that in the sense that I feel like your stories are very Christian. Most of the characters are Christian. They have spiritual experiences as the core part of the plot. Right. The most of the action in your stories is internal. It's you know soul searching action. Sometimes literally soul searching action. You know, people are <laughs> yeah. actually going into their own souls. So so. In some ways, you seem like like the quintessential fiction writer, where if you take that Christian thread out of the book, there's no real plot anymore. Like the whole thing falls apart. I agree with you. And that's why I agree with Francine's definition of what Christian fiction is, where Francine Rivers says, if you pull out the Christian thread from the plot and the plot unravels, it's Christian fiction. So that's why I was excited to do this talk with you because I'm really exploring this idea for the first time. Do I write Christian fiction? And using that definition, I would say, absolutely, yes, I'm writing Christian fiction. The difference, I guess, is I've, I didn't set out to write Christian fiction. I simply set out to write an enthralling uh, story that sets people free. That was my definition. And the problem I have with Christian, quote, Christian fiction is I've been reading a lot more Christian fiction lately, and I've read a number of stories where 
if you pull out the Christian elements in the story, the story works, you know, just as good as if the Christian elements um, were in there. And that's where I kind of go, is that book a Christian book where they have a few prayers um, and at some point in the story, they go, I'm glad the Lord helped us. And that's it. And I'd say, well, that's not a Christian story. That's not Christian fiction. It's it's a regular, say, romantic suspense novel. And they slap a little bit of, uh, you know, a Bible study and a prayer on that. And I go, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't really fit my definition. Where it's a normal movie and then there's a um, presentation of the gospel, you know, at the end of Act 2. It's kind of shoehorned into the story. Uh, um, and now for some readers, they don't really care about a Christian theme. Uh, they just want a book that is devoid of PG-13 or R-rated elements. And so for, for that reader, Christian for them doesn't mean it has Jesus as a character, you know, that people are interacting with, right? Because, and, and let's be real clear here, there's a difference between like Christian, like with Jesus and people kind of expressing belief in an abstract God, right? Like spiritual, like, oh, I'm a spiritual person doesn't make somebody a Christian, right? Like it's the Jesus that makes us different from uh, the world. And for a certain kind of reader, all they care about is, oh, I just don't want, you know, any um, bad content. And that that's fine for me. Uh, what, what would your, what would you say to that kind of reader? I'd say, great. I, I'd say, ultimately, th- and th- I think I've come to this conclusion, ultimately, who defines whether a book is Christian or not? Is it the publisher? Is it the author? I think, ultimately, it's the reader. So, one reader might say, I want clean fiction. That's Christian fiction. And I'd say, well, no, it's not. It's just a clean read. It's It has elements. It, it is lacking elements um, that you don't want in there. And so you call it Christian fiction, but you could say a lot of Jimmy Stewart's movies are Christian movies because there's not swearing in there and there's not gratuitous sex and there's not violence. So it'd be like, and there's a lot of TV shows that we, under that definition, we'd say, well, those are Christian TV shows. Well, no, they're not. They're, yeah, they're moral. They support the Judeo-Christian worldview. There's not swearing. There's not smoking. There's not drinking. There's not sex. So that's a Christian movie or that's a Christian TV show. And I'd say that for me, that's a poor definition, but I understand where a reader would go. Nope. For me, that is Christian. It's like, okay, great. Then you're making the definition. I've just come to a point where I go, I think Christian fiction or Christian movies or Christian TV shows have that thread back to Francine Rivers quote, have that thread in there where if you pull that out, um, the movie or book or TV falls apart. And if it's just clean, a clean story, that certainly isn't the case. So you would say a movie like it's a wonderful life is not a Christian movie. Right. Because it has a lot of Christian themes, right? It's teaching about the importance of, you know, being a good moral person and, you know, loving your neighbor and doing good to those around you. Uh, But ultimately, the theology of, you know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings is very broken, like wrong theology. Like that's not in the, like the actual spiritual elements of it are broken, whereas kind of the message is still a good message, which is why I think a lot of Christians watch It's a Wonderful Life, you know, when it comes to Christmas time. And it doesn't, you know, just because something's not Christian doesn't mean it can't still be good, right? I very much enjoy watching Avengers Endgame, right? That's not a Christian movie, uh, but it was it was still an enjoyable uh, movie. And what makes something um, Christian 
in my opinion, and we'll keep exploring this because it's not just the author that has a, a contribution. Um, I, I feel like Christ has to be in it somewhere. <laughs> like you, you have to acknowledge Jesus and not just like vague the teachings of Jesus. Cause Jesus said a lot of things and the things Jesus said, other people have said those things across the years, right? To different moral teachers have, have borrowed from Jesus in at different times. Um, now in the market, uh, so we talked about readers, right? Readers, some readers just care about the lack of bad content. Some readers are wanting a gospel presentation. If the gospel is not presented, it is not a Christian book. So it can't just have Jesus in it. It has to have the gospel like to, so that somebody, you know, at the end, there's a, it's like a gospel track where there's like a, a prayer at the end that you can pray to, to join the club. Now in the industry, uh, it's not about the author. It's about the publisher. Right. So uh, an industry person would say, well, what makes a Christian book a Christian book is the fact that it's published by a Christian publisher. It's the same in music. Right. What makes music Christian music? It's published by a Christian record label. Uh, What are your thoughts about that definition of Christian book? Yeah, that's that's a curious one, too, because if it's by the publisher, so a book like Gilead that came out, is that a is that a Christian book or not a Christian book, which won the Pulitzer, I, I believe, a number of years ago. Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ, that wasn't published by a Christian publisher, because back then there weren't really, that distinction hadn't been made. So is that book a Christian book or is it not a Christian book? So it, 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 I, I'm not sure we're going to come to a conclusion here, Thomas, on what makes a Christian book, but I would say the publisher, that's not part of it as well. You, you even have movies that are clearly not made by Christians and yet have a powerful Christian message in it. And one of the more controversial that's come out in the last 20 years is the movie, The Matrix. Now, looking at that from a Christian point of view or worldview, you would say that's probably the best postmodern depiction of the gospel that's been put into film. And yet you look at who produced the movie, who directed the movie, who wrote the movie, you go, those those people definitely are not coming um, from a Christian worldview. So is that a Christian movie or is it not a Christian movie? There have been websites dedicated to showing how this is the gospel and this is Christianity. So it's, it's a very floating target for me. It's, it's pretty nebulous. Yeah. in in many ways, uh, the matrix, like, uh, the Gnostic gospel and the Gnostic gospel is a lot closer to the true gospel than something that's not trying to be a gospel at all. Uh, in, in some senses, a Christian book is just a genre. Uh, and like it's a category on Amazon, right? Like what makes a Christian book is if it says Christian living on the back, right? Like that's the kind of the industry definition. You take, this is Amazon's definition. Uh, if a book claims to be Christian, the book is Christian. That That's Amazon's official you know, line. If you write a book and you put it in the Christian category on Amazon, you're a Christian book, right? There's no vetting whatsoever. Amazon isn't being like, well, I don't know this theology. I don't know if this is quite uh, Christian theology or not. They're not looking at that at all. Whereas an actual Christian bookstore would be looking at that. So if you walk into a Christian bookstore, the presumption is that everything for sale inside that bookstore is a Christian book, which isn't true, especially in like in the children's section. A lot of Christian bookstores will have, you know, it's a book about trucks and it's not, they're not Christian trucks. They're just trucks, right? It's just, it's a, <laughs> right. just a children's truck book. Um, or, or it, you know, it's a VHS about vegetables that references the Bible. Um, although that's actually, you can make an argument. It's more Christian because it does have spiritual themes in it, but the truck book may not. Um, so 
what it, what used to be the case is that Lifeway was the biggest Christian bookstore and they were run by the Southern Baptist Convention and they had strict theological rules about the books and about the authors. So as an author, you couldn't have your book in Lifeway unless the people who ran Lifeway saw you as a good Christian. And so if you had a scandal or politically you didn't have the right views, your book wouldn't be listed in Lifeway, regardless of the content of the book. So there'd be a book that they were selling and then the author would do something bad and Lifeway would pull the book. The book hadn't changed. The book was the same book on Tuesday as it was on Wednesday, but on Wednesday they were pulling copies off the shelves and mailing them back to the publishing publisher saying, no, thank you. And what that did is it created that fear of Lifeway pulling your book. I, I felt kept Christians within this kind of, within the playground fences, so to speak. And they were the ones that were the police making sure everyone stayed on the, on the right side of the fence. Now Lifeway is gone. They're not serving that function. Uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon are the two biggest Christian booksellers and they're secular companies. And the top Christian publishers like um, Zondervan and Thomas Nelson are owned by secular companies. So, so not all Christian publishers are owned by secular companies, but the big ones are. Uh, and so it gets very, it, the, uh, bookstore as a definition and the publisher as a definition gets to be less useful, right? Because if something says Thomas Nelson, that just means HarperCollins, right? HarperCollins publishes all kinds of things. They've got New Age books. They've got Buddhist books. They've got books on all kinds of different topics. Uh, Thomas Nelson's just their team that does Christian books. Uh, so, so where do you... Um, do you see the definition of a Christian book shifting as the power is leaving the Southern Baptist Convention and kind of being disintermediated throughout the rest of the market? Absolutely is shifting. And and I'm going to contradict myself now, Thomas, and talk about the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest fiction writer of all time, that in his stories, um, I think two thirds of them have no mention of God or the kingdom of heaven or salvation or anything like that. So is this fiction writer uh, a Christian author or not? And you probably know where I'm going with that. And that's Jesus. So Jesus told all these stories, parables, fiction, and two thirds of them didn't talk about the kingdom of God, didn't talk about God, didn't talk about salvation. So he was telling these stories. So is was Jesus a Christian author or, or, or wasn't he? Right. So the definition is becomes even more fluid with this going on with um Harper Collins owning Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, et cetera. And I think potentially a definition of Christian fiction goes back to Jesus' question, what is the fruit? What is the fruit of these stories? What comes out of that? Can we look at that? Because there are some stories that come in packages that we do not like. And, and, and Lifeway boxed up these stories and said, okay, theologically, it doesn't mesh w w with what we believe. Or to your point, this person committed some sin and, and they're out. And so can we use that as a definition? I'm asking that question to you. Um, what is the fruit of these stories? And what is the fruit of the author? So if the author turns out to have uh, a scandal, does it mean that everything that they say, uh, should be, 
disregarded. I will say that um, many of the opponents of my book, and I won't go into the details of what my book is about or who those people were, uh, but many of them had scandals and they ceased being opponents uh, intellectually in the arena of ideas. And so I kind of benefited from the fact uh, that they lost influence in the kind of general Christian uh, world. And, you know, it is interesting if, if you look, you know, you're judging the fruit of the book, right? When you put this book in someone's hands and they read it, are they brought closer to Jesus or are they pushed farther away? Although that definition really is broad, right? Like you could be reading some nonfiction book that's talking about, you know, improving some area of your life and suddenly you become broken over a sin you didn't realize, right? That this, this nonfiction secular book helped you see your sin, that God used this book to bring brokenness and repentance in your heart and you're on your knees before God, you know, calling out in repentance. And, you know, in that regard, I don't know if it's that useful of a tool, right? God spoke through Caiaphas. God spoke through a donkey, right? God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. Like these are not like uh, righteous, like people in that sense. And just because God used it, I don't know if that automatically makes it a good book, right? And, you know, if God uses this book to bring me closer to him, it doesn't mean he's going to use this book to bring everyone closer to him. You seem to be indicating, Thomas, that God can use almost anything to draw people <laughs> to himself, to show his love to people. <laughs> we we serve a very uh, powerful God. And it's interesting, we as Christians uh, recently, so evangelical Christians specifically, because this uh, concept of Christian book, non-Christian book is not a big deal in non um, in non evangelical Christian circles. If you look at the Christian publishers and the Christian bookstores, for the most part, they are specifically evangelical. If you look at non evangelical writers like C.S. Lewis, right? He, I, as far as I know, he was not with a Christian publisher. He didn't stand aside. He was a part of the culture writing. In, in, in I granted, it was a different time, but. You know, the world he was in, 1950s United Kingdom, was super secular world. Uh, but evangelicals in the starting in the 60s and really in the 70s and 80s really separated themselves. They had different schools. They went to different bookstores. Right? They, they wore different clothes if they were very conservative. They listened to different music. Like They really kind of pulled away from the culture and Christian publishing, I feel like was a, a really benefited from that. So, you know, a lot of books that started to kind of help these, you know, Jesus people, these hippies that were getting saved kind of instruct them on how to follow Christ. Uh, those same people as they got older wanted to buy specifically quote Christian products for their children. They wanted their children to read Christian books. They wanted their children to watch Christian movies. They wanted their children to listen to Christian music. And that's what I grew up in, right? Like my parents were baby boomers. They came to Christ as, as Jesus people. And they wanted to protect me from kind of the secular influences of the world. And, you know, so, you know, they homeschooled and we shopped at Lifeway, right? Like, and we, I never questioned what a Christian book was. Like if it's at Lifeway, it's a Christian book, right? Like that was all the definition we needed. And now Lifeway is not here anymore. Now, in some ways it takes more circumspection because uh, your average person isn't going to know the difference between Zondervan and Thomas Nelson and uh, Harvest House, right? And they look at the, and that's not even super clear on an Amazon page. And so it's a lot easier, I think, for wolves and sheep's clothing to have books that look Christian, that rank on Christian categories in Amazon, and yet teach a very different gospel. Yeah, that's a tough one because you you will have readers that will go into a Lifeway not anymore, but in the past, and they'll pick up a book 
Jesus loving people will go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is in the bookstore. This is not Christian. And other people that will look at that same book and go, are you kidding me? Yes, it is. Because our theology, we don't all have the same view of theology. We don't all believe the same. Um, and, and in evangelical circles, that's, that's, we've tried to make that a nice, neat little box. But what I've found in talking to many, many readers of Christian fiction and nonfiction, uh, for that matter, is is people are coming at it from all different angles, and 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 yet we want to make it a little box. We want to make it nice and neat, and everyone fits into this definition. And I I just don't think we can do that. Jesus didn't live a life like that, and I don't think we can do it either. Although we want to, we want that control. And one of the trends, and I've talked about this in the past on this show, the loss of publishers like Lifeway and the loss of these kind of theological, like, check, this is good, is moving that influence to pastors. And so for a lot of regular Christians, especially conservative evangelicals, a Christian book, especially a nonfiction, like Christian living type book, it's good if my pastor says that it's good, right? I know I can trust it if it's sold in my church bookstore. And this is really interesting. And it's a bit befuddling for a lot of Christian publishers because there are a lot of pastors out there, right? The average church only has 80 to 150 people. It's not very big. You know, sure, there's mega churches out there with a lot more than that, but most Christians go to pretty small churches. uh, And that is logistically a lot more difficult than making the one phone call to the one bookstore that sells to 25% of the market. And, um, you know, finding ways of reaching those pastors needs to be something that not just publishers think about, but also authors think about. And and one of the things that I think is going to shift, which authors are influential into the future, authors with, especially nonfiction, authors with good networks of pastors in their personal network, I feel like will have a bigger competitive advantage in 2025 than they had in 2005. Right. That was valuable in 2005, but it's going to be very valuable in uh, 2025. Um, now, I want to change directions here a little bit. We've been talking a lot about fiction, what makes a a, um, st- a novel Christian. But I want to talk a little bit about nonfiction. Uh, and, you know, so obviously a theological book, right, a book on systematic theology. I feel like you can be very safe putting that in the Christian category. But what about a book on business? Right? Can a can a business book be a Christian book? And if so, what would make it a Christian business book or a Christian marketing book? Yeah, that's a great question. I thought you were going to go a different direction with that, and and I want to get back to a, a specific example of um, more memoir type style books that are out there, non nonfiction. But in terms of a business book, like. Jesus is my CEO, uh, books that take the principles of Christianity and say, this is the principle taught in the Old Testament that we need to apply to our lives. I, I guess in some sense, those overtly Christian nonfiction books, by their definition, if Jesus is my CEO is the title of the book, you're pretty sure he's going to take or she is going to take Christian principles and apply it. But what about books that, um, from a Judeo-Christian worldview are extolling integrity and um, excellence and working as for uh, working hard, which we could tie back to Colossians 3.23, working as for the Lord rather than for men. Uh, yeah, I'd say those probably are those probably are, Christ, are Christian nonfiction, non, non, uh, nonfiction books. 
So here's an example that kind of tests these definitions. Uh, Platform by Michael Hyatt. Famous marketing book. A lot of people have read it. Michael Hyatt's a Christian writer. It was published by Thomas Nelson, a Christian publisher, and I believe sold in Lifeway, a Christian store. That said, there's nothing in that book that is Christian from my memory. There's no reference to God. There's nothing anti-Christian, right? He's not advocating, right, you know, sleazy marketing practices. But, you know, he's talking about, you know, marketing, right? It's it's a technical book. It's a how-to book. And while it's not incompatible with Christian Christianity, uh, from my memory, it's been many years since I've read it, there was nothing Christian about it. I don't know if he ever even mentions God or mentions the fact that he's a Christian in the publishing uh, or in the writing. The only way you would know is if you knew what Thomas Nelson was as a publisher. Uh, So is that a Christian book, right? It checked our first three boxes written by Christian in a Christian store um, by a Christian publisher, and yet no Christian, explicitly Christian content. Would you consider Platform by Michael Hyatt to be a Christian book? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but uh, what are your thoughts? No, it's not a Christian book. You don't think so? No. So oh, the uh, really any sort of technical book written by a, a Christian isn't going to be a Christian book unless it somehow is connected to Christian content in, in your view. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but that's... But you could argue argue a different direction on that. I'll argue against myself and say, if a Christian musician comes out with an instrumental album, no words at all, is that a Christian album or is it not a Christian album? I remember when Phil Kage came out with this um, album called The Master and the Musician. And this was back in, gosh, I want to say this was still in the late 70s. And this album came out and I was a huge Phil Kage fan, still am. And I love the album and people are like, well, Jim, that's not a Christian album because, you know, there's no Jesus talked about in it. It's like, okay, uh, yes, but it comes from someone who is deeply devoted to Christ. So in that sense, and music, I think Thomas is even more powerful than books in stirring up the spirit with inside us. And so I had to think through that as a teenager and go, is this a Christian album? And I would say, yes, it is. But in the case of Hyatt, where he's simply giving us technical, oh uh, boy, it's a good question. Um, and I'm going to still stick with no. I don't think that's a Christian book. It's written from a man who loves Jesus. And it's, it's so he's not going to put anything in there that goes against his Christian principles. But no, I would not call that a Christian book. All right. Well, we want to know uh, what you think. The goal of this episode was more to stir up the conversation than to give you, as you can tell, we're arguing against ourselves at times and kind of exploring this because uh, it, it is hard to say, hey, here's a bright line. And I will say as a literary agent, each uh, publishing house seems to have their own definition, right? A lot of publishing houses are attached to specific denominations. And for them, it's not just about, you know, adhering to the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, but it's like, no, you have to specifically adhere to our denominational distinctives or be um, endorsed by one of our denominational leaders. So I remember hearing back from a uh, editor at a denominational house and like, these 12 men that are denominational leaders, if they haven't if one of them hasn't given the thumbs up on your book or on a proposal, we don't want to see it. 
or, or we're not going to accept it because that's our specific definition, right? And that was unique just to that one publisher. And that's why it's nice to have an agent kind of help you kind of navigate, uh, you know, who you specifically would be a good fit for. Uh, because that's the interesting thing about Christianity, especially, Pro- especially Protestant uh, Christianity, is it's so diverse. Uh, and it's not just diverse theologically, it's also diverse culturally. A lot of people look for their church experience to represent their culture. It's why there's no American Orthodox Church, right? There's Romanian Orthodox, there's Greek Orthodox, there's Russian Orthodox, because people who are Orthodox want to uh, have they the culture that they their ancestors had, right? That they were brought up in, right? These you know had one generation that went to a Greek Orthodox Church in Greece, and then they had the next generation who went to a Greek Orthodox Church in New York, and then the next generation went to a Greek Orthodox Church in California. But it's still Greek Orthodox; it's not the California Orthodox Church, at least to my knowledge. Maybe there's an American Orthodox Church that's been started that I don't know about. Uh, but those. Um, oftentimes the differences between churches is not one of like, Hey, I disagree about the, you know, nature of Christ. It's more of a, Hey, I come from a different cultural background. My ancestors came from a different part of the world than your ancestors. And we worship in a different way. And you know what? That's the vision of the kingdom, right? Every tribe and tongue is worshiping and they're not all worshiping um, the same way. They're worshiping the same God. And it's, I think a really important distinction. They're worshiping in different languages and in different ways, but they're worshiping the one true uh, God. So this, uh, of all the episodes, this is one we'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. Uh, if you agree, if you disagree, what your definition is of a Christian book. Uh, do you agree about platform not being a Christian <laughs> book? Do you agree with Jamie Rubar? Do you think that he's wrong? Let us know in the comments. Uh, our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Institute, and we specifically have a course called The Five Marks of a Christian Writer by uh, our very own Steve Lobby teaches this course on the core spiritual elements uh, for a Christian uh, writer to persevere uh, and preserve in their writing. So it's not just about what makes a book a Christian book, but how to not get burned out, how to stay the course, and how to be refreshed in your writing. It's an 80 minute uh, presentation. And I believe it is $6 on the Christian Writers Institute. But if that's not cheap enough for you, you can save another 10% uh, at checkout with the coupon code podcast. Uh, Jim, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Yeah, very fun to, to explore this with you, Thomas. I appreciate you having me on. And if you want to see Jim's uh, book, we'll, we will have a link to it in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.